Good morning, everyone. It is, uh, it's lovely to see you this morning. Um, as Christy said, my name is Ian and I serve here in this church. And uh, we're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. So we're in Luke's Gospel this morning. We're in chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at verses uh, 14 to 28. Just out of interest, uh, when the, the weekly news came out, did, uh, did anyone read the passage? Okay, that is of interest. <laughs> it's an absolutely cracking passage, but perhaps not always the easiest to speak on. There's a lot in here. And, uh, and so we are, we're going to pray right now and, and just uh, make ourselves aware that this is God's work. This is God's word and we're God's people. And so we want to be, uh, want to be very aware of that this morning. Father, we thank you that all scripture is God-breathed. And he's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That the man of God and the woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray, Father, that our time together in the scriptures this morning would indeed thoroughly equip us for good work. Lord, that we would know your presence, know more of your character. And that that wouldn't just be a distant reality, but would be an ever-present truth in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In a moment or two, I'm going to read these verses for us, read these exciting verses. But before that, I want to tell you a very dull story from my own life to illustrate just how we're going to, uh, how we're going to look at them. It was about 15 years ago, and uh, I was working at Cape and Ray, and uh, we just had a staff meeting, and I was walking across the dining hall car park to the dining hall to get some lunch. And I was walking along with two other gentlemen. One was called Mark and one was called Rob. Uh, Mark was the, the, the managing director and Rob was the Bible school principal. And as we're walking across the car park, uh, we see that somebody has parked their car there. It's good already, isn't it? And they get out of the car and they're walking towards us. And I know who this person is, but Mark and Rob don't know them. And uh, he's somebody from sort of my neck of the woods, and he's come to uh, kind of have a look around the, the old building at Cape Ray. He loves his history, come to do a bit of exploring. And, uh, and so he, he meets us, and, uh, and, and we start talking. And because we're, we're British, there's a certain kind of protocol that we go through where Mark will say, Hi, my name's Mark, it's nice to meet you. And Rob says something similar, and my name's Rob, it's nice to see you. And then we talk about the weather for about two minutes, and then Mark and Rob very sensibly head off to get their lunch. And I stay with the gentleman and, and, and kind of go and take him for a little look round. And we just, we just leave that, and we're walking around, and he stops me and he says, I am very impressed with that. I'm very impressed with that. And it must have been the look of, of sort of puzzlement and bemusement on my face because he gave an explanation. It's nothing unusual to see a look of puzzlement and bemusement on my face. But this time it needed an explanation. He said, last night I was doing some research about Cape Ray and I was online. I was looking through the, the website and I know that Mark is Mark Thomas and he's the managing director. And I know that Rob is Rob Whittaker and he's the principal. And I'm very impressed that as they introduce themselves, they just introduce, introduce their names and not their position. And we, we go on, that's a, an open door that we start to talk about with them. Here's what I want to notice. 
as we meet somebody, we get a sense of who they are. And that has a response in our own heart. In the passage we're going to read now, we're going to meet Jesus. We're going to get a, a, a sense of who he is and what he's about. And there's going to be a response to that in our own hearts. Let me read it for us. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. We start, we dive straight in. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man... Fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of the person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Let's begin. <laughs> Let's begin by, by, by zooming out and seeing, what, reminding ourselves of what is happening here and who we have in our story. The Bible tells us that there is not only good in this world, but there is evil. And there is a, a, a cosmic battle, as it were, between good and evil. And, and here we see the Lord Jesus. And we know from the rest of Scripture that Jesus is God. And he is good. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, if we want to know what Jesus is, if we want to know what God is like, then we look at Jesus. He's revealing to us what God is like. Hebrews chapter 1, the author to the Hebrews starts out by explaining a bit of who Jesus is. And he says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God and he's showing us what God is like. And as he comes to, to earth as a man, as he steps into this creation that he's made, the incarnation, he takes on what it is to be a man. We start to see what good and what God is like. But as Jesus moves around uh, 2,000 years ago, he meets and encounters 
demons. And just as Jesus shows us what God is like, so the demons show us what the enemy is like. They show us what darkness is like. What darkness and the devil do in people's lives. And the demons, show, the demons' activity shows restriction, shows chaos, shows carnage, shows hurt and pain. And, and, and it's just this, this horrible picture of what the, the darkness does. Just as Jesus is this wonderful picture of what God does to free, to redeem, to bring peace and hope and forgiveness and grace. And so here, there is this interaction between good and evil, between Jesus and a demon. And I want us to notice two, two things. We're going to start by looking, so, so what do we notice about Jesus? Let's start with that. What do we notice about Jesus in, these, in this passage? Uh, two things I want to just notice from these words. First of all, notice that Jesus is powerful. Notice that Jesus is powerful. We start out, verse 14, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. Jesus speaks and has authority and the demon leaves. Jesus is powerful. He, he speaks out and the demon leaves. Now, we know that there are, there are other kind of Jewish exorcists around at this time. Jesus mentions them. We'll come on to them in a minute or two. And there was the, the kind of sense that you could, you might be able to deal with a demon if you knew its name. And, and what's amazing here is that Jesus doesn't need to know its name, though I'm sure he does. But he speaks and the de demon responds. He has authority. He has power. And that would speak loudly to those who were here in this context, listening to him. Notice as well in verse uh, 17, as Jesus responds... Luke tells us, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them. So Jesus, Jesus knows what's happening and he responds. Jesus is powerful. Later on, we'll see that it, Jesus uses the picture of a strong man to, to help us understand uh, the, the power of evil. But Jesus is stronger. But not only is he strong, he is good. Jesus is good. It's all very well to have the, the, the power, the authority over evil. It's another thing to step in and do something about it. It's another thing to respond. It's another thing to, to want to free this man from his, uh, from his trouble. And Jesus is good. And we see this, that Jesus is strong and that Jesus is good, weaving its way through all these verses. But just as we see that Jesus is strong and Jesus is good, we also see that we, we shouldn't underestimate or trivialize evil. Because though, though Jesus is stronger, evil is strong. It, it, Jesus uses this picture to, to kind of illustrate, verse 21, uh, what has just happened when a strong man, fully armed, guards his house, his possessions are safe. He's saying that the, 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 the devil, the demons, there is a, a reality to that and there is a strength to that. But Jesus is stronger. If Jesus is good and Jesus is strong, um, but the, the, dev, the devil, the demons, have a strength that not to be underestimated and they are evil. We need to be 
we need to, to, to recognize both of those truths. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we're reminded not to, not to trivialize, not to be... Um, not, not to minimize or to underestimate the power of evil or indeed the power of sin. Paul tells the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. I've got in my note verse 7, but I think it's verse 27. And it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't be foolish. Don't underestimate. Don't be naive. Don't give him a foothold. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Like, let's, let's not kid ourselves into, into how serious these things are. J.C. Ryle, who has a commentary on Luke's gospel, he uses his illustration. I'm going to um, shorten it somewhat, but this is what he says. To play around with evil, to be naive about sin or underestimate the enemy of our souls would be like a prisoner joking about his executioner as he is led to the gallows. And, and, and I, think there's, I think there's something we need to recognize in that. The demons are strong, but Jesus is stronger. The demons are evil, but Jesus is good. To help us understand a bit more of, of what this is, uh, this is looking like, what Jesus is doing, I want to notice this phrase that Jesus uses in verse 20. It's part of his argument. We'll come, we'll come to his argument in a moment. But it's part of his argument against the, the uh, people he's talking to. In verse 20 he says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's a very interesting phrase that by the finger of God. If, I'm, if I have authority over all evil by the finger of God, if I'm driving these demons out of the finger of God, then that shows something really significant, really important is happening. And the kingdom of God has come. And, and, and on first reading, it's like God, he, he's, Jesus is driving out the demons by the finger of God. Not by the hand of God or by the arm of God, but by the finger of God. This is not a big thing for God. He, he, he's, Jesus is much bigger. He's much more powerful by the finger of God. But that phrase is an echo from the Old Testament. It's used twice in the Old Testament. And it's worth just noticing where it comes from. Really, really simply, hopefully. Firstly, it's used in Exodus. God's people are slaves. And they are uh, entirely under the, the mastery of the Egyptians. They are not in control of their own lives. They're entirely uh, subject to the Egyptians. And, uh, and Moses and Aaron are sent to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. You know, it's time to deliver the people out of slavery. And, and, and to show that, that this is a serious message, and there are a number of signs that come to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And so Moses throws his staff down and uh, it turns into a snake. But the Egyptian magicians have also dark, while their dark arts can do some similar things. They throw their staffs down and they become snakes. Because evil is strong, but God is stronger. And in the first couple of plagues that come, the Egyptian magicians are able to replicate or imitate some of the things that are going on. But when the third plague comes along, I think it's the, it's the plague of gnats. I, I know it is. 
The Egyptian magicians are not able to replicate or imitate it. And they say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. In other words, this is just the, this is just the beginnings of the power and strength of, of the living God. You need to take this seriously. So the, the expression finger of God, it, it, it's about God wanting to save his people. The second time it's used in the Old Testament is when Moses is given the Ten Commandments. And it comes down from the mountain, the two tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And the, and the, and the Ten Commandments, these are, are not just rules that are given to the people so that they'll be good. Although that, well, that is a part of it. But the people have been saved. But now they're needing to get to know their saviour. They've been saved out of Egypt where, where worshipping gods, it, it was a... It was a murky and dark affair. And they're heading towards Canaan, which is perhaps worse, what worshipping gods looked like there. And, and it's really important that the people of God, once they're saved, get to know their saviour. And, and, and the, the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, is God revealing his character to his people. This is what I am like. This is what it is to walk with the living God. This is what it is to walk with your Savior. This is who I am. So the finger of God, the phrase is about being saved and about knowing your Savior. So to put it back into Luke and to the story we've got, Jesus is saying, if I'm driving out the demons by the finger of God, then this is this is about an opportunity for you to be saved and to know who God is. This is an opportunity for you to know he is good and he is strong and he is stronger than the darkness. So, who is Jesus? He is good and he is strong. What I want to look at as we uh, in this second part which will be slightly shorter, is, uh, is then how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond? Because in these verses, people respond in different ways to who Jesus is. I think how we respond is perhaps, Jesus, is perhaps Luke's emphasis in these verses. First of all, some people reject Jesus. They reject him. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute, and when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Right. Beelzebub, that's a, a, a phrase perhaps we, we, perhaps we know, perhaps we don't know. It's just a, a name given by the people at the time for uh, the prince of demons, the sort of prince of darkness. There's, there's lots more to it, but for this morning, just the Lord of Horrors might be a, a translation. It's just the, the, the one over everything that's dark or nasty or evil. And so no one is denying that Jesus has done this miracle. No one is denying what's happened. But what they're saying is they're saying, Jesus, you can only drive out demons because you yourself are the prince of demons. I hope you can get a sense of how awkward and how tense this is. What people are doing here is they're looking at the one who is God. They're looking at the one who is the very def definition of purity and righteousness, of holiness. The one who is goodness. The one who is God. And they're calling him evil. The very definition of ugliness. The very definition of darkness. 
That is a very dangerous thing to do, I want to suggest. To look at the one who is God and call him evil. William Barclay says, It is not uncommon for people to resort to slander when honest opposition is helpless. But if you come before the one who can save, the one who can uh, change you, the one who can redeem, the one who is good and call him evil, where do you go from there? Some reject him. Jesus knows their thoughts and he, he kind of takes their argument and, uh, and kind of just dismantles it in front of them. He says, any kingdom that is divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. You know, if, if this is what the enemy wants to, for, to kind of have a display of evil, then why would he take the evil out of the situation? It doesn't make sense logically. And any kingdom divided against itself will fall. And then he's got this great line where he says, if I drive out demons by a Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? You know, if the only way to get rid of a demon is by another demon, then what are these guys doing in the crowd as they do it? It just dismantles that, that particular argument in front of them. So some reject him. Some are reluctant to go all in. Some are just reluctant to go all in. Verse 16. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. That, that, I wonder if you can see how, how strange that is. If you, want a, if you want a sign from heaven to know, is, is Jesus good? Is he good? Is he God? Is he strong enough? Then, then exercising authority over evil in such a clear way, I would say that's a pretty clear sign from heaven. What other sort of sign do you, would you like to see? So it's not that people, it's not that they're, again, it's not that they're denying what has happened, they're just like, I'm just reluctant to go all in. I'm reluctant to be fully there. There's this kind of half-hearted or or sort of neutral response. But Jesus Jesus doesn't really allow that sort of response to to be a legitimate one. If there's this power, if there's this cosmic battle between light and darkness, there is no Switzerland. There is no neutral, no middle ground. Jesus says, doesn't he? Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And then we get these verses. Let me read them again. Verse 24, straight after what he's just said. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it seeks, it, sorry, it finds the house clean, uh, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final position of that person is worse than the first. Now, it's not that Jesus isn't clear here. It's just, (laughs) what scaffolding we put around this to make sure we're reading and interpreting it correctly and helpfully. 
And I think what's happening here is that Jesus is, is kind of following on from saying that you, you, you're either with me or for me. And giving an, a, a, an example of somebody who is not um, all in for, for the Lord, but doesn't want to be evil either, just wants to be neutral. So the person has, has had some sort of uh, influence by an evil spirit, and the evil spirit has left. Whether it's decided to go or it's been told, whatever, that it has left. But then the, then the house is empty. It's not been filled by the power and presence of God. Remember a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were thinking about Pentecost, we kind of used the same picture actually for what happens as we give our lives to the Lord. He comes to live within us by his Holy Spirit. He comes to live in, our, live in the house of our body, as it were. He comes to live within us. Remarkable truth. Life-changing you know, this is, the, this is the message, isn't it? God comes to live within us. And what seems to happen here is that somebody, the one who is mentioned, the, the evil spirit has left, but, ha, but he hasn't sort of embraced God. He hasn't embraced what it is to, to follow and, and love the Lord Jesus. He hasn't been filled with, the, with, with who God is. And so the house is empty. And I think he's, he's, he's kind of reiterating in very strong terms, there just is no neutral. There is no neutral. Our hearts are a vacuum and they'll suck in things from round about us if we don't have them filled with the power and presence of the Lord himself. And then lastly, and then lastly, verse 27 to 28, the passage seems to finish in what can seem at first to be a slightly strange way. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So so what I think is happening here is as this this lady sees what's going on, is perhaps one of those who's amazed, like we read earlier on, is amazed at what is happening and just wants to affirm Jesus just wants to, 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 it kind of overflows out that this, this amazement and this wonder of who Jesus is. And she's saying, what it must be to be part of your family, Jesus. What it must be to be able to walk with you all the time. What it must be to, to belong to you and to be a part of what, of, of what is yours. And Jesus takes and, and, and says, rather than that being my physical earthly family blessed rather are those who hear the word of god and obey it to be part of my family is to hear the word of god and to obey it, is to respond to who i am and what i'm doing and then be welcomed into the family of god to choose um, the good over evil to be to be filled with the power and presence of god rather than the darkness. I'm going to ask that those who will help us finish the service by singing, if you'll head back to this stage. And let's just remind ourselves of where we've, where we've been. We've seen that, that evil is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Let's not play about with sin or with evil. Let's not, let's, not, let's not play around with, with, with fueling thoughts 
which are taking us in the wrong direction. Do not give the devil a foothold. Thoughts of revenge. Thoughts of, thoughts of manipulation. Thoughts of adultery. If, if those are in here, then let's, let's banish them. Let's, let's ask God to help us. Let's not give the enemy a foothold in our lives. Then also let's think, how are we responding to Jesus who is good and who is strong? Do we reject him? Do we, do we, do we kind of bargain for, for, for neutral? I, 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 I like some, but I don't like it all. Perhaps that's an equally difficult position to be in as rejecting. Or do we want to hear the word of God and obey it? And, and, and if, we, if we haven't done that before, it's very straightforward in how we do it. We talk, to, we talk to the Lord Jesus about it. And I'm going to do that in prayer as we close. Maybe you'd like to close your eyes. Just bow your heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is a light to our path a revelation of who you are and an explanation of, 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 of the big things that go on in our world, in your world. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you for his life, his death and his resurrection. And Father, I pray for each one of us as we consider how we respond to that to that news, how we respond to the Lord Jesus. And Father, if, uh, if there are those here this morning who want to respond even now in the quietness of their hearts, then simply pray along with me, it just, just in the quietness of your heart. Father, thank you that you have made and created me. Thank you that you know and love me. Thank you that you have sent the Lord Jesus to enable me to be reconnected with you by paying the price for my sin, by being stronger and better than any of the darkness in my life. I thank you for his death and resurrection and invite you to come and live in my life this morning. Father, for those of us who... Who, who, who just feel enticed by things that we know just aren't right. Father, I pray for just a, a, an outpouring of your grace and strength. Father, I pray you'll infuse us with your hope. Fix our eyes on, uh, on you. Father, we're so weak, all of us. We're so, our eyes are so easily drawn. It's so easy to choose to do what we know we don't want to do. Father, I pray that you'll give us uh, the strength we need and, uh, and intercede for us. In Jesus' name, amen.